0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, where we hear from all types of fascinating tango professionals. We hear about their experiences, their insights, and through that, we figure out ways to improve our own tango. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in. If it's your first time finding us, thanks for being here. And please take a quick moment to click that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. To help keep the podcast going, I'm accepting donations through PayPal. There's a link in the description and also one on the podcast website. Thanks for your support. My guest today has been dancing tango for well over a decade. Having spent several years in Buenos Aires, he's studied and analyzed a number of different styles. He's focused on social dancing and is fascinated with technique. Currently, he's active with the well-known Oxygen Tango community. Okay, and with me now is Dave Lampson. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. It's great to have you on here.
1: No, it's my pleasure. Thank yeah. you, Jim.
0: Yeah. All right, so Dave, if you could just take us back to perhaps the beginning of your tango journey. So how did you fall in love with this dance?
1: Oh, I was, uh, I think I was about 24, 25, recently gotten out of college. I was, it was, this was about 2000 and Three two 2004 something like that mm-hmm. I was kind of wandering around South America teaching English I lived in Chile for about four months and mm. then um, I moved over to uh, Buenos Aires and was teaching English there and there happened to be a tango festival going on and I kind of had it in my mind already as something that I wanted to try it wasn't exactly on my bucket list it was on my radar a little bit That that's something that was going on okay and so I took a couple of classes, made some friends, and, yeah, just got really hooked on it the way that many people do and mm-hmm. organized my life over the next five or six years so I could spend about, I would say, a little more than half my time there. Okay. I, w- I had a, a job in LA. I worked with a partner, so I was able to work remotely a lot of the time. mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: And uh, so yeah, so I just spent as much time in Buenos Aires as I could nice. dancing and studying and absorbing what I could, and then uh, came back to L.A. permanently after about five years of that.
0: Wow. So what was your very first Tango lesson like when you, when you tried it out? I think it was at, um, uh, the name was
1: uh, Anna Shapira, mm-hmm. and she taught uh, with what was branded at the time the Milonguero style whatever that means exactly. It was a lot of walking chest to chest in a circle. I remember she had a couple of, uh, she had a couple levels of classes. So we were all in the beginner class, mm-hmm. wondering who would be asked next to go to the, you know, to the next level of the class yeah. um, and hoping that it would be us. So, yeah. Very much an, uh, an emphasis on the apilado style. As, mm-hmm. as They called it at the time. Yeah. That, that was, that was my first tango class pretty quickly. I started trying out different classes and, and, mm-hmm. And seeing what was what. Actually, I remember it was maybe the third or fourth class that I that I went to. There was uh, this old guy, very very passionate guy, and he was teaching us how to um just how to step in a particular way. I just remember we would kind of start the step, and then as the step we were just stepping by ourselves, as the step developed, he would go,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and kind of this give this sound effect for the step. And I didn't really know anything. He seemed to actually the way he was behaving seemed a little nuts to me, and so <laughs> I remember asking someone like, "Oh, you know." Who is this guy this is a well-known guy and they're like yeah yeah he's he's very well known he's very well known and then i think it was actually years later i realized it was actually um gavito, Carlos gavito. <laughs> so uh, but i had no idea at the time you know who anybody was so but i do remember i still think about that class actually even though i wasn't uh, ready to appreciate it
0: mm. at <laughs> the yeah. so what was it about the dance that hooked you i think for me the, the
1: first time i realized that it really was improvised what was going on mm-hmm. and that it was possible to dance what appeared to be a very complicated choreography with someone who might even be a total stranger. Yeah. Um, but as long as you both knew this language,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you could make up these complicated choreographies um, right there in the spot to, to any kind of music. And that that was a magic trick that I really wanted to learn. I, I do connect it actually to my much much earlier interest in magic, but I think it's the same kind of feeling. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: How do they do that? You know, how, how, that doesn't seem possible. How do they do that? Yeah. Um, there were other things, aspects of it, of course, but I think that was that was what I really wanted to learn. I think I thought at the time that if you learned it, you could do it with anybody, um, which isn't quite true. I mean, you can do right. some things with anybody, but of course. Mm-hmm. To really dance at a, at a high level you need to both people
0: need to know it <laughs> mm, yeah so. Yeah. what about your very first time at a malanga
1: I think I started going out uh, pretty quickly because I got to be friends with some people from this, this class that I was taking and, mm-hmm. and they would go out a lot I remember going to Cochabamba really early on um, that kind of opened my eyes mm-hmm. I don't know if that was the very first one El Beso is another one that was very close to the class. The class was at Porte- Porteño Bailarín, and they they had some milongas there too. So, no, I don't actually, I, I, I do remember, I, rem- I think I remember sitting most of the time the first few milongas I went to and mm-hmm. trying to figure out the pattern to what everyone was doing so that mm-hmm. I could do it, and then eventually realizing that there was no set pattern. But uh, they, did, they did a really good job, I think, in that class of kind of blending the class with the milonga so that it wasn't It didn 't feel so different, there was less room to operate and, and you mm-hmm. weren't dancing with people that you knew, but you felt that you had enough, some material to operate and any longer after taking the class nice
0: yeah, so it's kind of neat how how this dance tango it was sort of on your radar, but then you ended up teaching it as well so uh, did, did you did that happen after you came back to l a no, it didn't happen. Uh,
1: I guess I'd been, probably been dancing in L.A. from the very beginning. Um, I was involved in a school called Oxygen Tango, right. um, which was uh, founded and run by Mitra Martin and Stefan Fabry. Yep. Mitra was on your podcast.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: So I was, I was involved there for many years. I would just go a lot, dance a lot, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: got to be friends with them. And then they asked me to teach there probably starting about five or six years ago. And, uh, and then about three years ago, uh, they had been running the school for a while. It's
2: mm-hmm.
1: pretty heavy. Um, and I think they were ready to, you know, let someone carry it for a while. So I took over with a woman named Megan Wiles, nice. also my girlfriend. So we've been doing that for about uh, three years and, you know, trying to, trying to continue everything that was built and, and also mm-hmm. growing it.
0: Yeah, so Dave, I want to talk a little bit about learning, particularly uh, turning points in learning. So, what's some really good or some memorable advice that you've gotten from some of your own teachers that still resonates with you today?
1: I actually think this this happens a little bit later on. I think in in one's Tango career, mm-hmm. but I do think that an important line to get to what we would maybe call the intermediate level, which I actually think of as, as pretty advanced. Mm-hmm. I think that most people have a realization that nobody can bring them to that level, mm-hmm. that they'll have to uh, do it themselves
3: mm-hmm.
1: and, and stop looking for that perfect teacher who is giving, going to give you the perfect key, tell you just the right thing, that perfect dance partner who's going to change your dancing and realize that you actually have the power to do it and, and only you mm-hmm. and and that can be mm, kind of a discouraging idea that you're you're all alone on an island <laughs> and it's up to you but it's also a very empowering idea I think yeah. that, that you can do it and you don't have to be in Buenos Aires you don't need you don't need anybody else mm-hmm. um, to do it you just have to accept that and and engage with that and I feel like that's when I mean there's growth all along the way but I feel like that's when my my dancing really started to evolve and deepen is when I started trying to teach myself more things and discover mm-hmm. more things for myself and not, and that not, uh, look for it so much from other people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said about that, how we have to really move ourselves forward and yeah, you know, like you said, teachers help and classes can help, but yeah, it's really, it's really on us. And I think that's a, it's a much better attitude to look upon that as empowering instead of, mm-hmm. uh, instead of scary because. <laughs> uh...
1: Yeah. And, and you notice it, you know, in small ways,
0: sometimes,
1: mm-hmm. you know, before asking a question, does someone even take 10 seconds to try to figure it out, you know, no. before just wanting the answer, give me the answer. And it's been my experience that the discoveries that you make on your own, working with a partner, for example, to try to get a figure to work, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you work on it for a couple of weeks or a month and it doesn't work. And then finally it works. Whatever discovery you you made there, I think is going to be much longer lasting mm-hmm. and, um, and powerful than if someone had just told you at the beginning what the secret was. Yeah. So. I think those those that self discovery is mm-hmm. precious.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like watching a movie instead of reading the spoilers, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. No, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Maybe even writing the movie. <laughs> it's even <laughs> harder harder work. Yeah. yeah. but even more rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, way back, Dave, what, during your early days of, of learning, what was a a bad Tango habit you used to have, and how did you get over it?
1: I've, I've always danced perfectly. I've never had any. That kind of <laughs> um, let's see. Well, these are things that I, I still struggle with. Um, a lot of um, just a level of tension in my upper body, something mm-hmm. that I grappled with for a long time. I, I became conscious there was a lot of tension there, especially in my shoulders. And I knew that it was mm-hmm. kind of moving back and forth between me and my partner. It wasn't necessarily always clear how to where it came from. And then, and then I think I went through a period where I was overcompensating for that by really being afraid to exert any any pressure on my partner at all, which is kind of compensating in the other extreme. So hopefully the habit is so something that with a lot of attention I was able to develop somewhat. But that that tension in the arms and not not making your partner uncomfortable with your hands is mm-hmm. something that I think a lot of beginner leaders struggle with. Um yeah. especially larger leaders like myself, you know, mm-hmm. just Making sure that whatever strength you have is being
0: mm-hmm.
1: applied in a gentle way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's something I'm always fine-tuning myself. <laughs>
1: yeah, it does. a lot of these things seem like not so much things that you solve, but ongoing relationships that you have, right. and you make you make progress. And sometimes you sometimes you take a step back, and then you mm-hmm. take things forward. Yeah.
0: Yeah, earlier like what you said about uh, again, just kind of going back to how you know you you shouldn't look for that one magic teacher or the the magic partner, uh, and kind of related to that point, Dave is that uh, getting good at tango is um, in a large part mental rather than physical. So, mm-hmm. uh, in your opinion, Dave, what are what are some ways for us to become a little bit more mentally sound as as tango dancers?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. Well, one thing is. Certainly, I struggle to take feedback early on, and still do. I mean, it's it's always. I think it's emotional for anyone to take feedback on sure. anything. But I do think it's a. Um, I don't know if exactly what you mean by mental, but being able to hear something that someone is telling you about mm. your dance, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's actually too upsetting and emotional <laughs> in the moment that you can process it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could at least try to hear it and. And note it to yourself, and maybe when you calm down a little bit, you can mm. process it a little better. Yeah, I think I think that's a it's I think that's a big part of it is um, that can help draw you out of some delusions you might have about your own dancing is being mm. able to hear what other people are telling you yeah. about your dancing and not say, well, that's actually your fault, or that's how <laughs> my other coach told me, or <laughs> or someone tells you to dance more relaxed and mm-hmm. say act as if they were suggesting the total extreme and say, well, what am I going to do? Be all loose and floppy, like a piece of spaghetti, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, and actually being able to listen to what people are trying to tell you, which doesn't mean that
0: mm-hmm. all the
1: advice that you get is going to be good and that you should take it, but at least giving it all a chance. Right. I think is a, uh, is an important mental step. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of from another angle, I guess less sort of about openness, but I've gotten pretty deep into the study of tango, movements and tango figures and mm-hmm. and how they fit together the the grammar of it did a little, lot of work with mitra on this and we also teach this quite a bit at oxygen mm-hmm. you, you've had uh, quite a few podcast guests refer to this i think there's this kind of an underlying grammar to tango movements where the open step and the front cross and the back cross are the syllables and or rather the the, the letters mm-hmm. and the the steps, the ganchos, the baleos are the words, and then the figures are the sentences. And,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I think when we start out, it's, it's necessary you learn it, you learn this language the way you, you start out in a foreign country just with a phrase book, where mm-hmm. you can say, what time is the next train, and can you tell me where the bathroom is, and mm-hmm. "It's nice to meet you. But you don't even, you can say those sentences, but you don't even necessarily know which word is train and which word is bathroom, and, mm-hmm. and you have no flexibility. You can't say, what time was the last train, and, it, you, uh, you can say it's nice to meet you, but you can't say it was nice to meet you. You, you don't have any control over the language. You just have these sentences that you can break out. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in tango, it, it actually takes a long time even to get to that point where you have a few figures um, that you can string together and get yourself through a tanda. But there is a, a deeper understanding of the grammar that is available and is there. And many people have studied it in different ways. Uh, sometimes I think everyone needs to develop their own system to describe it. We developed one that really tries to transpose tango language into Mm -hmm. spoken language in a way that's helpful and allows you to comprehensively understand the possible movements and find new movements, which I find very exciting. But most importantly, dance a little bit more word to word than sentence to sentence. Mm -hmm. Be a little bit more alert for something to happen at any moment. And that is certainly the execution of those movements is a physical exercise and figuring it, you know, if you find a new move, figuring out how to actually lead it mm-hmm. um, is a physical process, but there is a lot of um, mental process there too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I think that that opened up my eyes a lot about what was possible and what was really going on when I was dancing with somebody.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I Yeah. Like how that, how, uh, these individual steps are like, they're like the words and, in letters and things like that. Yeah, that's when once we start making that connection, it's Yeah, like that, what you said about the improvisational aspect of it really starts to come together. Yeah, yeah. interesting, just <laughs> know, you've had a couple of guests refer to
1: this, and it's just,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's fun. Everyone has their own way that they've done it. Basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I feel like what we're really doing for the first couple of years is just to keep people entertained and distracted. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> while their while their bodies move a little bit.
3: And mm.
1: And, and they start to become aware of different parts of their body, they start to be able to be present in the dance. And most importantly maybe find their balance. Yeah. Sometimes I think there's so much is once you actually find your balance, which can take, you know, years sometimes, yeah. but then other things fall into place that we're never gonna really be that comfortable without without your balance, no matter yeah. how much you studied them. And so sometimes I think that underneath all the beginner classes, I'm just trying to get people to move around and <laughs> and and, and, and distract their minds mm-hmm. for long enough to get their bodies moving, um, mm-hmm. which is where the real learning is taking place.
0: Yeah, so what are some good ways, in your opinion, Dave, for advanced students to help beginner students?
1: Well, number one is just to, to spend time with them, to dance with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you don't feel like just dancing four songs, you could ask someone to practice, asking someone what they're working on, and maybe just recognizing and acknowledging your own status and, and influence with beginners if you are really a, an advanced dancer. I certainly remember earlier on sitting around at the studio, mostly just watching, and there were, you know, d- dancing with the other beginners when I could, but there were some, some really good followers there that
2: mm-hmm.
1: very, very rarely would dance with me. But when they did,
3: mm-hmm.
1: anything that they said to me, I, I remember even now. You know, yeah. 14 years later. So, so, maybe just appreciating how powerful that that feedback and information can be, even if mm. something small. I still remember a, a great dancer at the studio that I, the Dinsel studio, where I, I spent a lot of time early on.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't even know if she was a, a world class dancer, but she certainly seemed that way to me at the time. Mm. And uh, she just took a you know a minute or two to a back lead, back Ocho's for me a little bit and, mm-hmm. and show me what it felt like. And, and the way that registers to me is, you know, this is my, my goal, you know, to, to be able to dance with people like this. And so mm-hmm. this is going to be more impactful. The information that she gives me is going to be more impactful even than anything that my teacher might tell me. And so, yeah, just appreciating that and using it sparingly, but it may be using it. And I think also just having a having a longer term vision of the thing. And, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't required. And I certainly spent plenty of time just going to practice as a melongas for my own pleasure and mm-hmm. dancing with the best dancers that I could and sometimes maybe leaving if there wasn't anyone that I was that excited <laughs> to dance with. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there are other times and I, I think I'm more and more in this mode now recognizing that the, the, the beginners re- literally are the future of tango. I don't even see that as controversial. Yeah thing to say that they are literally people starting now are going to be the experience. The, the puppies now are going to be the dogs <laughs> later on yeah. way around that. And so I am surprised sometimes at how short sighted people that don't want beginners around. It, it, it boggles yeah. my mind. Yeah. People definitely. that organize events where beginners aren't invited, are invited. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you're just, you're just killing all the puppies. And what are we going to do in five years?
0: Right. <laughs> you know, when, yeah. when we've
1: killed all the puppies. So, I actually think that this applies especially to to younger uh, men,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which, in, in general, I think men have plenty of power in tango. That's that's mm-hmm. a different topic. You know, they're, yeah. they're doing fine in general. But the the beginner leaders, not necessarily men. I I, I, I mm-hmm. guess I'm, I'm just talking about beginner leaders. We really do. They they have no currency in the economy of tango. It's it's not right. unusual, maybe mm-hmm. even common for a a beginning follower to be the bell of the ball. You know, a lot mm. of leaders take pl- take a lot of pride in, in leading, being able to comfortably give a good experience to a beginner follower for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons and motivations, and so not every time, but often beginning followers will actually dance a lot and be welcomed um, mm. by the community. That very, very rarely happens um, mm. with beginning leaders And I do think that's a little bit short-sighted for understandable reasons. Mm -hmm. Followers don't take the same pride in being able to dance with beginner leaders than Mm -hmm. than vice versa. And yeah, there are valid reasons for that. Maybe you have a a lot less control over the experience or over your own comfort level than you do if you're leading. But I do think, again, it can go a long way. Um, It's a a long slog for, for a young leader. Yes. Usually it's a, it's a few years before you really start to feel comfortable. And I think we could all maybe mm-hmm. just throw them a bone once in a while. <laughs> and, and that doesn't, by the way, have to be asking them to, to dance and then following them. Um, I know something that, that Megan has started doing a lot at Oxygen. And I think it's really effective. Mm-hmm. If, if, there's a really, if there's a beginning leader, and, and I actually do this too, maybe it is really uncomfortable to dance with them. So just lead them. Ask them to dance and lead them. And they'll at least get to feel, you know, it might even be more valuable to feel what an yeah. experience feels like. And, mm-hmm. But at least get out there on the dance floor, make some connections, get to know some people, mm-hmm. um, just give them a little bit of encouragement. Because I do think that, yeah, that, that's just a long road, mm-hmm. learning how to lead in tango. Yeah,
0: so. yeah absolutely. Yeah, I, I still definitely remember my early days as <laughs> tango, the struggle. So... It's a weird feeling. I mean, it really takes a certain
1: mentality. And I think mm-hmm. that's why It's part of this would probably be true regardless, but it's partly why we get such particular personality types in tango. Mm-hmm. Is It's the personality type that can really survive having, feeling like you have nothing to offer to the community for maybe two or three years, right. <laughs> you know, while you, yeah. while you figure out how to get through a tondo without mm-hmm. making your partner uncomfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Dave, a lot of the people listening are, contemplating that first trip to Buenos Aires. And you've been there. Uh, You actually been spent quite a lot of time there dancing. So uh, what advice would you have for those tango students out there who are thinking of going to Buenos Aires?
1: I mean, I would certainly recommend it. It's exciting. Uh, I was there at at the very beginning of my tango career. So I wouldn't tell anyone that they needed to wait Mm -hmm. any particular particular length of time. I also this well, this probably sounds a little hypocritical mm-hmm. because I did choose to spend so much time there that I clearly, mm-hmm. there must have been something about it that I thought was worthwhile. But I also feel that the difference between Buenos Aires and other places
0: mm-hmm. is
1: a little bit overrated. Okay. Again, similar to that revelation that <laughs> that you're in control of your own tango dancing and it, it's not up to someone else what your mm-hmm. level is going to be. Yeah. Is the realization that any work and study and progress that I want to make in this dance I can do in LA just as well as I can do in Mm -hmm. Buenos Aires, and um, that there's that this is a human dance Mm -hmm. and not an Argentine dance Mm -hmm. necessarily. Although Argentina is certainly essential to the history of tango. Mm -hmm. Often these comparisons aren't perfect, but often I compare it to basketball, another thing that Mm -hmm. I'm into, Uh and just. Imagining telling someone, well, you know, telling some German kid playing basketball, mm-hmm. you know, unless you play played basketball in Springfield, Massachusetts, you've never really played, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sort of,
0: mm-hmm. it
1: becomes absurd, you know, mm-hmm. or, or unless, unless you play the way that they played in the forties in New York, yeah, you're not really playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it sounds absurd in other contexts, but it, mm-hmm. it's routine. I would even say it's conventional wisdom in many mm-hmm. cases in tango. And I I think that's a shame. I I, I would Mm -hmm. like to think, without diminishing the obvious importance that that Argentina and Argentine culture and and the city of Buenos Aires has played in tango, Mm -hmm. I would like to think that it is more universal than that. Mm -hmm. The way that that many other art forms and disciplines don't belong to one city or one moment in time. Mm -hmm. We often attribute tango to one place and often one one decade now, you know, 80 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that hurts tango on the whole
2: mm-hmm.
1: because we're sitting here in LA and we're telling our students that it makes them feel like tango is somewhere else. Uh-huh. It's, it's not here.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, if you really want to know the real thing, you, you have to go to Argentina or you have to study with a visiting teacher and, and, and that what you're doing here doesn't count in a way. Mm-hmm. and I think that that's detrimental to the growth of tango. I think mm-hmm. it, it'd be nicer if more people could feel ownership of it. Yeah. yeah. So that's not exactly an answer to your
0: question. But no, no, I like I like, the, I like where you went with that.
1: And as for, as for Buenos Aires, I haven't been there in maybe three years. I mean, of course, I, I love going there. I love dancing there. I do think it's maybe not totally understood how central Visitors are to that scene. I think in fact even the notion of an authentic tango scene in Buenos Aires is pretty problematic.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I could when I was there, maybe this has changed, but I could count on one hand the number of people under thirty five that were Mm -hmm. locals that that danced tango socially and that weren't professionals in some in some capacity. There there was no there was there was for the older generations a little bit more, but for the younger Mm -hmm. generations there was no social tango going on Mm -hmm. without Tourists. There was no. It, it didn't exist. Mm. And so, I think that uh, may, maybe sometimes the tourists underrate their own importance to what is going on in Buenos Aires. That is actually the the energy there, and, and what, what keeps it vibrant. And and that was the reason that there was a tango explosion around the time, a little bit before the time that I was there. Was, there was a lot of people coming in from all over the world, and so. Yeah, I don't know if it's understood. I could have this wrong. These are just my own impressions. Sure. No, it it doesn't I, seem yeah. to me that there is mm-hmm. what we think of as authentic Argentine tango that would be there even if there were no tourists there. It doesn't really exist, as far as I can tell. And, and to put it more explicitly, I guess, like if you go to Argentina, you go to La Viruta, you're going to be dancing not only with mm-hmm. the same kind of people, but in many cases, literally the same exact people. that if you went, if you went to a festival in Mm -hmm. San Francisco or whatever, it's, it's, it's the same people circulating all around. Mm
2: -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. and
1: even a lot of the, even a lot of the locals there are also traveling. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it's not so different. It's not such a different world. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of funny, like you said, literally running into people, it's like almost every festival I've gone to, I've bumped into somebody I met somewhere else. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, no, that is extremely powerful.
1: Yeah I, yeah. I remember even just, I was in London once for some reason, just went to this little Milanga in London. There were two mm. people there from LA just randomly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You realize, yeah. It's very hard to, once you dance super well, it's very hard to go to a Milonga and not know anybody.
0: Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I, I was in St. Petersburg, Russia one time at this tiny, It's like a house Milonga in the in like in this alley somewhere. And lo and behold, there was a guy who was a classmate of mine in another tango class, like five years ago here, when he was a postdoc, and looked at me like, "What are you doing here?"
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: I so, guess. Yeah, I guess really
1: part of it is that if, if there is a little milonga in the middle of nowhere, any tango dancer within 100 miles is going to be there. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're not yeah. going to miss
1: any of them if they are around. Right. Yeah.
0: That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so with this dance, uh, Dave, there's always something new to learn, and even though you've had so much experience, uh, what's something new that you've learned recently, perhaps over the last few months or years?
1: Well, I'm always interested, like we were talking about, in in, in trying to discover new movements, Mm -hmm. a, a passion of mine. So finding a new movement and then kind of ripening it to where I can do it with my dance partner and then, you know, with very sensitive followers and then with not so sensitive followers and then maybe even with beginners watching it evolve. A lot of what I've learned is probably more relating to teaching and organizing. But as far as the dance goes itself, this is something I've always been interested in, but I've been consciously exploring it more over the last two or three years is it's deepening my sensitivity to what's going on between in the couple that I'm dancing in and
2: mm-hmm.
1: both what's coming out from me and what's, what my partner is expressing, what I'm expressing. I remember this is something that caught my attention early on. Uh, when I started out, uh, I went to this studio called the Dinsel Studio, and there was this guru there named Rodolfo Dinsel, and mm-hmm. I was always trying to figure out like what, what, why, why, do, why do people respect him so much? What is it? Mm-hmm. And I would hear things like, "Well, you know, he dances with you and he'll dance one tango with you, and then he'll look at you, and he'll say, "You know, something happened to you this morning, what was it?" <laughs> 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 and, and, uh And you'll say, and sure enough, you know, you were almost in a car accident that morning, and he could he could tell that somehow, and mm. he, he, the, that whole studio had sort of this underlayment of mysticism, I would say, <laughs> that I've never okay. quite, never quite encountered, actually. Mm-hmm. In quite that form anywhere else but I, I've been focusing on that sort of thing more lately consciously maybe trying to express um, certain things and seeing what impact that has on my dancing and also just trying to tune in more to what's going on with my partner how they're how they're feeling what they're expressing
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and, and developing my intuition in these areas by trusting it I think Mm-hmm. Kind of trusting whatever whatever intuitions you might have about what's going on. I think a lot of times what's going on with me and what's going on with my partner can get confused. I might feel wow, this person is really tense when actually it's it's me that's tense and, uh, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the the kind of unseen exchanges of feeling and emotion that that are going on. I'm I'm, I'm trying to tap mm-hmm. into more.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, that's 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 neat. I mean, that's there. There is something definitely to that. I think. I think a lot of listeners can probably identify with that when, you know, something did happen to you or you're feeling a certain way. That does it, whether you like it or not, or try to control it or not, it, it somehow does come through our in our dancing. And
1: uh, yeah, and yeah. and you know, there's a saying that I like that people say the body can't lie, mm-hmm. uh, and that you, which means that you wouldn't even if if you were shaken up because you almost got in a car accident that morning, you wouldn't even be able to hide it from your dancer. Yeah. You know, you you would inevitably express it. Um, And you can work on these kind of things. Like uh, normally I, I think so much of when I'm dancing, the main thing I'm trying to express is (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm such a good dancer. Aren't I such a good dancer? (laughs) (laughs) What I'm doing with every movement, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but, but trying to be deliberate and, and conscious about, just maybe even just for experimentation. What if I, what if I focus my dancing to just express compassion for the person that I'm dancing with,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or or just to make them feel as safe as possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or what if I thought about my grandmother while I was dancing? What what effect would that have? And, yeah, um, and kind of giving your body credit for being able to to communicate these maybe more abstract concepts, feelings.
0: Nice. Nice. Okay. All right. So Dave, this has been a lot of fun. So where do we find out more about you online? Uh, I would say I'm
1: pretty wrapped up in the oxygen brand right now. So you can just okay. go to oxygenkango.com and
0: uh Yeah, hey, we got your bio yeah. on there,
1: right? There classes. Yeah, there's a little there's a little bio on there. You can see what we're up to. We have a Facebook presence also.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Probably a little bit even more it evolves more. So you know, there's videos up there and you can see what's going on at, at our school.
0: All right. All right. And I'll have uh, links to oxygen Tango website and the Facebook and the link to your uh, little bio uh, in our show notes. So people will be able to look you up. Awesome. Great. All right, Dave. Well, thank you again for taking the time to talk to me. I know you got a lot of things going on out there in LA. Uh, I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Joe. It was really fun talking to you. And I, I, I appreciate you doing this podcast. of I've gotten a lot out of listening to the
0: episode. Oh, great. Thanks. Well, I hope to meet you in person someday soon. Me too. Me too. Absolutely. All right. Okay. That was fun. It was great hearing about Dave's tango journey. And I liked his thoughts on how to improve our tango, that we should not look to a particular teacher, class, or partner in order to make us better dancers. External factors can be helpful, but they're not going to be the actual elements that move our abilities forward. And that's going to be largely on us. We're going to have to explore and discover tango through our own efforts. Again, we've heard similar nuggets of wisdom in earlier podcast episodes, but since this idea keeps coming up, it's probably important. I also like what Dave said about asking questions while learning tango, that asking questions about steps or technique is good, especially if you're lost, but often it's worth it to go to a practica and try working out answers on our own before asking. In other words, let's avoid being spoon-fed all the answers. And I also like Dave's thoughts on Buenos Aires, that yes, it's a fun city and it's a great place to tango and he recommends that we visit, but going there won't magically transform us into tango experts. Again, this goes back to his earlier point about not looking to external factors to move our dancing forward, and I think Dave makes an important point that authentic tango can exist anywhere. It's not limited to one magical city or someplace out there because it's a worldwide dance and the real thing can be wherever you are. So thank you again, Dave, for sharing your insights and for your time. And of course, thanks to all you listeners out there for tuning in. If you're enjoying the podcast, as always, please take a quick moment to subscribe and please leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. That helps out a lot. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, feel free to send an email to wisconsintango at gmail.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, at gmail.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. Okay, that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon.